Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 have as the main theme the sovereignty of God. That's a theme that uh, that we in our flesh kind of push back against a lot of times because as human beings, it's a little bit in our nature to want to feel like we're in control uh, rather than have someone else to be in control. And that would be one way to maybe understand the sovereignty of God, to view God as being the one that is in control, to view God as being the, the one that can fully exercise His will. And I think most of you probably figured out in life, you can't fully exercise your will. You cannot get everything uh, that, that you want. But uh, God is God and we're not. And, uh, and we need to allow Him to be a sovereign God. Uh, already in the book of Romans, uh, Paul talks about how all of us are sinners and how we cannot save ourselves and how salvation comes totally as a free gift through God's grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, what He has accomplished, what He did for us on the cross, and how God sets us apart or sanctifies us uh, to Himself. All of those things are true because God is a sovereign God, because of the sovereignty of God. God sovereignly chose to save us in the way that He decided to save us. And that's really what we'll be talking about a lot today in this passage of, of Scripture. Uh, just to kind of help you bear in mind uh, the, the background of what's really taking place in chapters 9, uh, 10, and 11, uh, in, in chapters 9, uh, what Paul basically did was take the nation of Israel and how God called them to Himself out of all the people in the world to give us a picture of God's sovereignty uh, and then, uh, next, next screen, guys, if you could go to, uh, to that, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and then in Romans chapter 10, what we're entering into uh, today, uh, he gives us a picture there of God's sovereignty and how God sovereignly allowed Israel to reject him. It wasn't like it was a surprise to God that Israel did not just say, Oh, our Messiah, and all of them receive him as a nation. God sovereignly uh, allowed them to reject him. And he uh, sovereignly also gives us a, a free will, a choice to, to uh, reject him. But in chapter 11, you're going to see that God's sovereignty is fulfilled in Israel's future redemption. God has not written Israel off. God's still a sovereign God. They're still his people. And, uh, and, and God is still dealing with them and will deal with them. Uh, what we're mainly looking at today, though, as we enter into Romans chapter 10, is the fact that God sovereignly chose them to Himself, but He allowed them also to reject Him, and, and, and God still allows people to reject Him. Maybe a way to understand that is this. God did not make the children of Israel into robots to where they had to follow everything, and they had no choice but to follow. And neither does God 
make us into robots to where all you and I can do is is completely follow God. And, and I think probably part of the main reason for that is had God made us as robots to where all we can do is follow him, it would in a certain way be a character flaw in God that probably Satan would especially want to appoint it at and, and say, well, see, they have to follow you because that's the way you made them. I mean, Satan Kelly had the same accusation when uh, Satan and, and, and God were talking about Job. And, and God said, have you seen my servant Job? How he's, you know, more righteous than anyone on the face of the earth. And Satan Kelly quirks back at him. Well, it's only because you give him all this stuff. You know, that's why he serves you. Well, had God made us to where we have no choice but to follow him instead of following him because of his grace and because of his love for us, then it would have been a character flaw in God. But instead, God glorifies himself in creating a people that he gave a free will to. And, and yes, we're sinners, but God, through Jesus Christ, calls us to himself. And, and when we choose Jesus, that causes extra glory for, for God, to where people perceive God's glorious, glorious character. What, um, what we're going to do today is, is, is basically, uh, in, in the background of all this, you need, you need to remember that the Bible also talks about, uh, free will and election. And, and that's something people have a hard time trying to put together. Uh, uh, Adam is with us today, and of course, Adam is a seminary student right now, and I'm sure they have all kinds of debates and everything like that in some of the classes about, you know, election and, and free will. And, and, and I don't know anyone has it completely, totally figured out how those two things work, but I will tell you this. You see, if, if you can accept the first verse in the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, then you shouldn't have any problem accepting all the rest of it. The Bible does teach free will, but the Bible teaches election, that God saw us in eternity past. And, and God knew in eternity past who would be saved and who would not. And God, God calls people. Just like he said in Romans 9, God called Israel out of all the peoples on the earth. God called uh, Jacob instead of Esau uh, to be the one that he would turn into Israel to lead, to lead his people. And it's hard to completely fully explain it, but uh, this is not original with me. You've probably heard it before, but I, I've heard it said several times that if you try to explain election, you'll lose your mind. But if you try and explain it away, you'll lose your soul. Uh, because we must allow God to be a sovereign God. But with that as the background, what we're going to talk about today basically is, is this. We're going to talk about, about rejecting or receiving Christ. In Romans 9, he was definitely presenting God's sovereignty in a huge way. And in, in Romans 10, he kind of brings into it now human responsibility. So what does that look like? You know, how... And why do people reject Christ? And, and how must people receive Christ? First off, this morning, we're going to talk about this as we look at the first 13 verses of, uh, of Romans chapter 10. Here's, here's your first point if you're filling in the, in the blank. Why the nation of Israel and people still yet reject Christ? Here's why. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. That's what the nation of Israel did. They kind of misunderstood even their own scriptures that God had given them. And they viewed it as though it meant, well, we have to have these rituals and we have to obey the commandments and it's all about the external stuff that we do. And they looked at it as though it was based upon their works and who they were. 
And they're trying to work out their own righteousness. They're trying to somehow be good enough to be saved. Look at what Paul writes in, in verses 1 through 5. Then we'll kind of break it down. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. And he's talking about the nation of Israel. He said, I'll read it in a moment in the first of uh, chapter 9 that we saw a couple of weeks ago. But he's, he's talking about Israel. He just had talked at the end of chapter 9 about uh, how Christ was a stumbling block and they had stumbled over him. He says, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what? What does it say? Believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. It's not enough to say I've, I've got the commandments, I've got them in my back pocket. Start with, as we break those first five verses down, I, I want you to notice something that was in Paul's heart that I think ought to be in our heart. Paul had an extreme burden because his own people, the Israelites, were trying to earn their own salvation and they were not receiving the salvation that only comes by faith through Jesus. He was burdened about it. They were his kinsmen from the race that Paul himself was from. And he's so burdened that he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And what I'd like to submit to us today, you and I, as believers in this day and time, if you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to be burdened that there are still people in the world who are trying to establish their own righteousness. There are people all around us. And, and, and by the way, it's not just the people out in the world that we might think, man, they live like the devil. Look at all the things that they do. I, I'm telling you, there's people even in churches week in and week out. That, that somehow in their mind, they think by, by being good and attending church and reading the Bible and tithing, whatever it is, they feel like maybe they're, they're building their own stairway to heaven, like they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And, and they have failed to understand there's not one thing that you can do and I can do to establish our righteousness. All we can do is, is receive the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. But there are people all around us in our culture and in churches that are trying to establish their own righteousness. And that ought to burden us as Paul was burdened. Paul said it was his heart's desire. I mean, he was, he was passionate about it. He, his heart was breaking inside because there, there were people of his own people who had not received Christ. Instead, they're trying to work for their salvation. We ought to be burdened by that. You ought to have some burden this morning for someone that's in your life, someone you work with, a family member. Whatever the case might be, there should be a burden in your life and in your heart. Because if, if you're just kind of floating through life as a Christian saying, well, I know I'm on my way to heaven. Everything's taken care of. I, I, I know everything's fine with me. I'm going to heaven one day. And, and, and you do not have a burden for lost people around you. We're missing part of the purpose why God's left us, left us in this world. 
We need to have a burden. We need to be like Paul and be, be praying for people that they might be saved. Now, to me, this looks like it's a constant recurring burden in Paul's heart because in chapter 9, he had already written these words in, in, in chapter 9. Next, next screen, guys. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. More or less what Paul just said is this. If I could be cut off from Christ for all eternity, I would be willing to do so and be willing to spend eternity in hell if I knew my doing so would cause Israel to come to faith in Christ. That's a pretty big burden, isn't it? That's a lot of, that's a lot of passion in his heart and in his life. You and I need to have that type of passion. There's a lost world around us. People who are trying to earn their own righteousness. People who are trying to establish their own way to heaven. They're trying to build their, their own stairway to heaven, so to speak. And they think they're on a pathway that somehow if they'll just keep trying hard enough, they'll climb the next step and the next step and the next step until one day they, they arrive and they have earned their entrance into heaven. That's why people miss heaven. That's why people miss God's righteousness. That's why people still die lost without Jesus because somehow they believe a lie that they can establish their own righteousness. They, they believe that they can do something themselves to cause themselves to go to heaven. And since we have people like that in our culture, we ought to be, be burdened for them. Maybe a question that we ought to ask ourselves today is simply this. Who do I desire to be saved? I mean, who's on your heart right now? Who are you desiring to be saved? Who are you praying for to be saved? We're getting ready to jump into a new year. And as I mentioned before we took our offering up, we might look into the last year and, and, and you and I might have some regrets from the last year. And that's why people will make New Year's resolutions and, and everything like that. You might be burdened about how you served Christ in the last year. You might realize you've missed opportunities when you should have been sharing Jesus with someone. But I've got some good news for you. The minds were wrong. <laughs> we're still here. God willing, there's a new year that lies before us. And there's going to be new opportunities for you to be burdened and praying for people and share Jesus with somebody. Look at the details of, of what causes people to miss heaven. Look at, look at the, the next, next point. Here's how people reject Christ. They can have a zeal for God, Paul says, without knowledge. That, that described Israel, but it still describes people today. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. I mean, they were passionate. It was like they, they had this fire for serving God, but they, they misunderstood. They kind of misunderstood their own scriptures. They, they had accepted the law as, as, as something that they had to do themselves, some, some steps that they had to keep taking. They had to somehow work out their, their, their way to heaven. 
They, they were focused upon ritual and, 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 and outward uh, appearance and things like that. And, and they had missed the fact that God had sent Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They were looking for some type of political leader to come in and set them free. But God became man in that humble baby that was placed in a manger. And he grew up and he went to a cross and he died on the cross for our sins. They were missing who Jesus is and why Jesus came. They, they had passion, they had heat, but it was without light. It was without illumination. You ever met anybody like that? You ever, have you ever been a person like that? I have. And I can remember early on after God called me in the ministry and stuff like that, I could condemn you in a Baptist heartbeat. I mean, if you didn't have your hair cut just right and look just right and be carrying the, the right version of the Bible, you know, that you're told you have to carry or whatever the case is, man, that's, that's what I was exposed to. I was right there. I could have condemned you just like that. Some of the circles I walked in, some of the Bible conferences and revivals and things like that, regrettably, I, guys, I've been places to where maybe in the message at a revival or a Bible conference, someone would be really fired up and talking about people going to hell without Jesus, which is true, but then to hear people in the crowd say, Amen, like they were happy that somebody was going to spend eternity without Christ. Because you can get that judgmental spirit. You can, you can have zeal without passion, without the right kind of understanding, without the right kind of knowledge. That's what happened with Israel, and that's what happens with, with, with people still yet today. I had a uh, professor in, uh, in Bible college, and he shared a little bit about his story. And he was someone that, that had a lot of, a lot of zeal uh, and everything early on. He, he was like he was really passionate, you know, uh, about God, uh, but he, he just didn't have a lot of understanding. And what he did, he started reading over here in the Old Testament, and he was someone that just didn't know any better, to be honest with you. And uh, grew up uh, on, the, you know, well, on the backside of nowhere in Kentucky and everything. And he just kind of you know, started reading the Bible one day and thinking he was getting passionate for God, and he told us in class that he almost went and bought a lamb and sacrificed it to God because he wanted to show God how much he loved him. Thankfully, he did not do that because thankfully he kept reading. You know what he found out when he kept reading? That Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But that's just a picture of how someone can have zeal for God and not have understanding. And there, there are people who are, who are like that still yet in, in our culture, in, in churches, in, in, in Christian churches, in, in Baptist churches, and other denominations. They, they, they can have a, this zeal, and, and they can, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. And, and, and it all becomes, even though they say, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it, it all still becomes kind of performance-based. And they're trying to establish their own righteousness instead of trying to receive it free that God wants to give us through Christ. Another picture of that is radical Islam. See, those people think that they are actually pleasing God by carrying out a jihad against ungodly people, and they're willing to get in airplanes and fly them into skyscrapers, thinking that that earns them entrance into heaven, or strap bombs upon their body and walk into a public place and kill other people. They're very passionate about it. They've got a lot of zeal, but it's zeal without knowledge. They don't know God's heart. And we need to be careful that we don't fall in that thing yourself. I hope there's no one here today 
that fits this. But if, if but if you do fit this, man, it'd be a good time for you to get things figured out because I'm just telling you, there are people who are going to miss heaven because they've got a zeal without knowledge. And, and you're trying to also do what Paul said here. The, another reason people reject Christ is, is, is this. Number two, is that they're seeking to establish their own righteousness instead of just submitting to the righteousness that God offers. He said because they're ignorant of that righteousness that comes from God, they are seeking to establish their own. Instead of understanding God wants to give it to them, they think they have to work it out. And they're busy, 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 somehow trying to think that they're going to earn their way to heaven, and they're trying to establish their own righteousness instead of getting the real righteousness that God wants to provide by faith. To be honest with you, and, and please, you know, don't take wrong what I'm about to say, and I think you'll understand why I say it. To be honest with you, there are, there, there are people who are so hell bent on trying to establish their own righteousness that all they are doing is really making themselves bent for hell. Because they are making it about who they are and what they can do instead of understanding that it's not everyone who works is everyone who believes. That's what he tells us for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what again? Believes. For everyone who believes. Another reason people reject Christ is this. They're trusting in their own works instead of trusting in, in Christ. Paul wrote these words, he said, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So, somehow the Jews took that as, well, we're special. And they were, because God chose them. We're special, we have the law, God has given us His Word, and, and that is something that's special. But it was like they were saying, because we have the law, because we're the chosen people that God has given the law to, we've got it kind of here in our back pocket. We've got it in our scrolls. But they failed to understand they had to live by it. And the problem with that is this. Nobody can live by it. We all fall short. There might be parts of the commandments that you and I can gravitate toward and think, man, I'm, I'm okay with these areas. And then we'll tend to look down on other people that are not okay in the areas that we're okay in and, and, and condemn them. But you see, the problem with that type of approach is really manifold. Because look at all these other scriptures here on the screen. James said this, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable or guilty for it all. Now here's what he's saying. If you think of yourself, I'm a pretty good person because I've not murdered anyone and I'm not committing adultery and I'm not breaking into houses and stealing and everything like that, but if you've ever told a lie, as far as God's concerned, you're an adulterer and you're a thief and you're a murderer if you've ever even told a lie. If we break any one part of it, we're guilty of all of it. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 13 says, it, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. But then see, he goes on, he says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God never ever sent the law for it to be a stairway to heaven, to where you try and work your way there. He sent it to increase our knowledge and the awareness of our guilt, so we'd understand how much we need His grace. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. And then Paul, under divine inspiration, writes these words also in Galatians. We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Paul talking about himself. But, but he goes on, he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified, is not made as though they've never sinned by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by what? By faith, not works. In Christ and not by works of the law. Because, and he repeats it again, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Why do people reject Christ? Why, why will there be people who maybe thought they were sincere and earnest and had a lot of zeal for God? Why, why will they miss heaven one day? Because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. That's what Paul said the Jews did, and that's what people still do today many times. So that doesn't work, and it doesn't. If we can't establish our unrighteousness, if we cannot be good enough, if none of that works, what does work? How must people receive Christ? And Paul spends the rest of the verses that we are looking at today, down through verse 13, telling us, what does work? What works is this. Next slide. How people must receive Christ. How does it happen? How did God decide that, that, that it takes place? How do we receive eternal life? How does God make us righteous? How must we receive Christ if it's not based upon our works and us establish our own righteousness? Here's what we have to do. We have to believe in Christ by faith and receive not our righteousness, but His. His righteousness. Look what Paul says in, in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says. So we're going to look at what it says. What is it that faith righteousness tells us? What is it that God's kind of righteousness tells us? What is it that works? Well, first of all, it tells us, tells us this. Don't say in your heart it's about what I can do. Don't, don't, don't say in your heart that it's about what you can do that makes you righteous. <clears throat> Paul uses Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 14, and he quotes it here in, in verses 6 and 7. And he says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now what he is quoting from is Moses talking to the children of Israel. They have been given the word of God, the commandments of God. 
And Moses is telling them, you know, don't be saying or using for an excuse in your life that God's commandments or God's will or God's word is far from you. As though you yourself have to go to heaven and get God's word and bring it down. Or that you have to go across the sea or down into the depths of the sea to grab God's word and bring it up for yourself. Because what Moses is telling them was this. The Word of God is near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. God has given it to you. You don't have to go and get it for yourself. God's given it to you. But you see, Paul's spin on that, Paul's interpretation, which is God's interpretation because it's God's Word, is that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the commandment. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says the Word became what? Flesh. Jesus is the very epitome and the very fulfillment of the Word of God in human flesh. So Paul is now writing and he's saying, so don't say in your heart that you have to do something. Don't say in your heart that you have to somehow go to heaven to pull Jesus down for yourself. Don't say in your heart that you have to go into Hades and bring Jesus back up from the dead. Because of the truth of the matter is this. Through the incarnation which we've just celebrated at Christmas, God sent His Son into this world. We didn't have to go get Him. And in the resurrection when Jesus took His life back up from the dead, Jesus has already raised from the dead. We don't have to go and get Him. It's not about something you and I do. It's about us trusting what He has already done. Don't say in your heart that it's about something you do because that's not faith righteousness. That's works righteousness. Don't say in your heart it, it's about you and what you can accomplish or what you can do in, in your life. Don't focus upon that and say it's about me and it's about what I can do because, see, all we can do is trust in Jesus who has come down for us and trust in Jesus who has died for us and trust in Jesus who, yes, was buried, but he took his life back up on the third day. That's all we can do. We can't go and bring him to ourselves because he's already as close as the words of our mouth and as close as our heart because he's already been sent to us. So don't do this. You know, if you want to really receive Christ, if you want to receive God's righteousness, you have to believe in Christ by faith and receive it by faith. Don't be saying in your heart, it's about what you can do. Instead, what you need to do is this. What you do need to do is trust in the Word of God. Is accept the Word of God. But what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And once again, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word of faith that Paul's proclaiming. And then he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What we need to do is, is trust in God's word. He goes on and, and, and he says this. He says, for 
With the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if we, if we can't work for it, and it's not about what we do, and we have to take God at His Word, what does that mean? It means, number one, what Paul just said there, you need to believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. I'm talking about fully believing. You, you, you can't be straddling the fence, so to speak, to where, you know, on this side, you're still kind of dependent upon your works and your own goodness and what you think you can do to get yourself into heaven. And then on this side, you're kind of trusting in Jesus. No, what you need to do is to believe fully in your heart that Jesus has done it all. That Jesus, when he said it is finished on the cross, meant exactly what he said. That Jesus died for our sins and He paid the full price for our sins and that He was buried and that He took His life back up on the third day to prove He's who He claimed to be. You have to believe that fully in your heart. And if you happen to be someone today that says, well, I, I mean, I know that's what's said about Jesus, but I, isn't it still a little bit about what I can do? No, you've, you've messed it all up. If you want God's salvation, if you want authentic righteousness, you have to believe fully in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because He said, for with the heart one believes and is what? Justified. Made just like you've never sinned as far as God's concerned when you believe fully in your heart. What else do we have to do? Well, he, he said we need to confess with our mouth. We need to believe it, but we don't keep it a secret. <laughs> we need to confess it with our mouth. He said, in, 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 confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he said, with the mouth one confesses and, and it is saved. To, to confess that Jesus is Lord is more or less to say that He's God. The, the phrase that's translated here is also used in the old, in, in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And, and the word that's used there in the Greek to talk about God, Yahweh, is also used here to refer to Jesus. Jesus is God. We, we have to believe that, that, that God became man and He went to the cross and He died on the cross for us and He took His life back up. We confess that Jesus is God. And with the mouth, we, we confess that, and, and it says that we're saved. And, and the word for confess there in the Greek means to give verbal affirmation to. And, and I think probably the initial way that happens is this. I recognize I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe Jesus did exactly what He said He did. He died in my place for my sins fully on the cross, and He took His life back up on the third day. And when I confess that to God... When I say that to God, believing it in my heart, 
He promises I'll be saved. That's how it initially happens. But you know what else I think ought to happen? I don't think God wants any closet Christians. I think God wants us to be confessing and telling people around us, sharing people around us, hey, yes, I was a sinner. Yes, I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believed in him. I trusted in him. And because I believe in my heart and I've called out upon him, he saved me and he'll do the same thing for you. He don't want us to keep it secret. And when we do those things, when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, what happens is that we, we experience salvation, not by works, but salvation by faith. Because he said in verse 11 through 13, the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here in this passage and also in Romans 9.33, Paul's quoted from Isaiah 28.16. He's saying if you will trust in Christ as your Savior, you will never ever be put to shame. There will never be a reason for you to be ashamed that Jesus is your Savior. You don't need to be ashamed before other people, but in a day of judgment, when you stand before holy God, He will not put you to shame because you have believed and taken Him at His word and trusted in His Son. And then he quotes from Joel chapter 2 and verse 32 to prove that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved because the Jews want it just to be them only. And he says this, For everyone who calls... On the name of the Lord will be saved. God is a sovereign God who knew in eternity past who will call and who will not call. Who, who will believe and who will not believe. And by calling out to Him, not by our own works of righteousness, but by trusting in Him, that's how we become justified. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, in this section, it's like Paul is kind of contrasting law righteousness with faith righteousness. One works and one doesn't work. Look, look at the chart. Uh, under law righteousness, it was only for the Jew. Under faith righteousness, it's for whosoever. I don't know about you guys. I'm tickled with that, aren't you? I'm glad it's for whosoever. I'm not Jewish. Law righteousness was based upon works. Faith righteousness comes by faith alone. Law righteousness is about being self-righteous. It's about what we can do. Faith righteousness is about God's righteousness. What He has done for us. Law righteousness cannot save. Faith righteousness brings salvation. Law righteousness puts us in the stance to where we're having to obey the Lord. Faith righteousness is we call upon the Lord for salvation, not trying to obey Him to earn our salvation. Law righteousness leads to pride, what I can do. Faith righteousness glorifies God because of what He has done sovereignly for us by sending His Son to die for our sins. Guys, all we can do is this. All we can do is receive the gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't be good enough. We can't work for it. All we can do is receive the gift. It's not based upon who you are or what you've done. 
Robert Murray McShane was a, uh, you know, some of you may have heard of him before. Uh, man, I like reading about his life. He was, he was a Scottish uh, pastor from years and years ago and, uh, and everything. But he died at 28 pretty much because he worked himself to death for Jesus. That ought to make us feel just a little bit guilty, maybe. <laughs> he so loved Jesus, he, he worked himself to death for him. But Robert Murray McShane one day was was handing out tracts in a public place, and this well-dressed lady comes by, and he gives her one, and uh, she looks back at him, and she says, I don't think you know who I am. And uh, Robert McShane was really worried about hurting her feelings, I think. He was really politically correct and everything, because he looked at her and he said, in a day of judgment, it will not matter who you are. In a day of judgment, it will not matter who you are. It will not matter who I am. It matters all the world who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. On the cross. By dying for our sins. All we can do is stand with empty hands. Undeserving, unworthy. And accept by faith the free gift of salvation that God wants to give us. By His amazing grace. You ever ask anyone... How can I become a Christian? Or maybe you've had people to ask you since you've become a Christian. Well, how, how can I become a Christian? We complicate it a lot of times, but remember what he said here? It's as close as your mouth and as close as your heart. If we believe in our heart and say with our mouth that Christ is the risen Lord, God promises us we will be saved. And to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart really is, is, a, is a phrase that gives a picture of a whole, a whole person commitment. You're all in. <laughs> you're all in with your very being, your heart. You're all in with what you say that Jesus is Lord. And you believe that He died on the cross for your sins. Paul, early on in Romans, said all have sinned. All. All. You, me, Billy Graham, everybody. We've all sinned. Thank God He also says, whosoever or everyone, depending on your translation, that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because guess what? That also includes everyone. Who will repent of their sin, believe that Jesus died on the cross for them. He promises that He'll give us everlasting life. You know, you want to know the neat thing about that? People break promises. God never does. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, forgive us for the times that we act like it's about us. Lord, sometimes we get that mentality, even as Christians, as people that attend church. And serve you at church. If we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of thinking it's about us and what we can do. Father, I also pray right now for anyone here that might not have ever understood before that it's not about them, but it's about Jesus. It's not about who they are. It's not about what they can do. It's not about them establishing their own righteousness because that's impossible. But it's about us 
receiving your righteousness that you have provided for us and sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And that through faith in Him, you make us just like we've never sinned. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that does not know Christ, open their eyes and open their heart. Call them to yourself. Give them the faith that they need right now to say yes to Jesus. And God, for the rest of us who, who know that we've received Christ, God, don't let us be comfortable right now. Father, give us a burden for someone in this place that might not know Christ. Give us a burden for someone we work with. Give us a burden like Paul had for his own people, for our family members. God, help us in this coming year to make the best of every opportunity you give us to tell others about Jesus. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.